Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for October 30th, 2020. The War of the Worlds, Orson Welles' realistic radio dramatization of a Martian invasion of Earth, was broadcast on the radio on this date, the evening of October 30th, 1938. Wells was only 23 years old when his Mercury Theatre Company decided to update H.G. Wells' 19th century science fiction novel, The War of the Worlds, for national radio. Despite his age, Wells had been in radio for several years, most notably as the voice of The Shadow in the hit mystery program of the same name. War of the Worlds was not planned as a radio hoax, and Wells had little idea of the havoc it would create. The show began on Sunday, October 30th at 8 p.m. A voice announced, The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Sunday evening in 1938 was primetime in the golden age of radio, and millions of Americans had their radios turned on. But most of these Americans were listening to ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, and his dummy Charlie McCarthy on NBC, and only tuned to CBS at 8.12 p.m. after the comedy sketch had ended, and a little-known singer went on. By then, the story of the Martian invasion was well underway. Wells introduced his radio play with a spoken introduction, followed by an announcer reading a weather report. Then, seemingly abandoning the storyline, the announcer took listeners to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Putrid dance music played for some time, and then the scare began. An announcer broke in to report that Professor Farrell of the Mount Jenning Observatory had detected explosions on planet Mars. Then the dance music came back on followed by another interruption, in which listeners were informed that a large meteor had crashed into a farmer's field in Grover's Mills, New Jersey. Soon, an announcer was at the crash site, describing a Martian emerging from a large metallic cylinder. I've ever witnessed... Wait a minute. Someone calling someone or something. I can see turning out of that black hole two luminous disks. The eyes, it might be a face. Might be almost oh, oh, heavens. Something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. They look like tentacles to me. Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body. Now it's large. The Martians mounted walking war machines and fired heat ray weapons at the puny humans gathered around the crash site. They annihilated a force of 7,000 National Guardsmen. And after being attacked by artillery and bombers, the Martians released a poisonous gas into the air. Soon, Martian cylinders landed in Chicago and St. Louis. The radio play was extremely realistic, with Wells employing sophisticated sound effects and his actors doing an excellent job portraying terrified announcers and other characters. An announcer reported that widespread panic had broken out in the vicinity of the landing sites, 
with thousands desperately trying to flee. Producer John Hausman noticed that at about 8.32 p.m., CBS supervisor Davidson Taylor received a telephone call in the control room. Taylor left the studio and returned four minutes later, pale as death, as he had been ordered to interrupt the War of the Worlds broadcast immediately with an announcement of the program's fictional content. However, by the time the order was given, the program was already less than a minute away from its first scheduled break, and the fictional news reporter, played by actor Ray Collins, was choking on poison gas as the Martians overwhelmed New York. Actor Stefan Schnabel recalled sitting in the anteroom after finishing his on-air performance. A few policemen trickled in, then a few more. Soon the room was full of policemen and a massive struggle was going on between the police, page boys, and CBS executives who were trying to prevent the cops from busting in and stopping the show. It was a show to witness. During the sign-off theme, the phone began ringing. Houseman picked it up and the furious caller announced he was mayor of a Midwestern town where mobs were in the streets. Houseman hung up quickly, for we were off the air now and the studio door had burst open. The following hours were a nightmare. The building was suddenly full of people and dark blue uniforms. Hustled out of the studio, we were locked into a small back office on another floor. Here we sat incommunicado while network employees were busily collecting, destroying, or locking up all scripts and records of the broadcast. Finally, the press was let loose upon us, ravening for horror. How many deaths had we heard of, implying they knew of thousands? What did we know of the fatal stampede in a Jersey Hall, implying it was one of many? What traffic deaths? The ditches must be choked with corpses. The suicides. Haven't you heard about the one on Riverside Drive? It's all quite vague in my memory and quite terrible. Paul White, head of CBS News, was quickly summoned to the office. And there, Bedlam reigned. He wrote, The telephone switchboard, a vast sea of light, could handle only a fraction of incoming calls. The haggard Wells sat alone and despondent. I'm through, he lamented, washed up. I didn't bother to reply to his highly inaccurate self-appraisal. I was too busy writing explanations to put on the air, reassuring the audience that it was safe. I also answered my share of incessant telephone calls, many of them from as far away as the Pacific Coast. The Federal Communications Commission investigated the unorthodox program, but found that no law was broken. Networks did agree to be more cautious in their programming in the future and the broadcast helped Orson Welles land a contract with a Hollywood studio. And in 1941, he directed, wrote, produced, and starred in Citizen Kane, a movie that is still considered by most the greatest American film ever made. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character, to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. <laughs>
That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. Thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time.